0: Please rise now for the reading of God's Word and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 78. This is found on page 571 of the Church Bible, and reading verses 12 through 20. Give all your attention now to the reading of God's revealed truth. Marvelous things He did in the sight of their fathers, in the land of Egypt, in the land of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters stand up like a heap. In the daytime also he led them with the cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink in abundance like the depths. He also brought the streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. But they sinned even more against him by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness, and they tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy." Yes, they spoke against God. They said, Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? Now turn to John chapter 6 and reading verses 32 to 37, found on page 1048 of the church Bible. Again, hear the word of our God. Then Jesus said to them, "'Most assuredly, I say to you, "'Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, "'but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. "'For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven "'and gives life to the world.' "'Then they said to him, "'Lord, give us this bread always.' "'And Jesus said to them, "'I am the bread of life. "'He who comes to me shall never hunger, "'and he who believes in me shall never thirst. "'But I said to you that you have seen me, "'and yet you do not believe.' All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Thus far the reading of God's word, and let us remember that all flesh is like grass, all of its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Let us go to our God once again in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. And we thank you for this Psalm 23 that we've been going through, that you breathed out uh, through David, a shepherd, a king. And we pray that you would now illuminate our minds by your Holy Spirit, teaching us and feeding us as your sheep, strengthening us in the faith so that we might, again, bear much fruit for your glory's sake. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, we considered perhaps the most comforting part of this most comforting psalm regarding the shepherd's companionship and comfort with the declaration, For thou art with me. The presence of the shepherd is a rock and refuge for us as we journey through this valley of the shadow of death. We also saw the shepherd's um, comfort in the tools of shepherding his rod and staff to protect us from all of our enemies, to count us and examine us and to lead us on our path. This morning now we consider the last part of verse 5, or I'm sorry, the first part of verse 5, part A and B. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And we'll consider our shepherd's divine provision And divine anointing. And I continue to use Joel Beakey's book, The Lord Shepherding His Sheep. So you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, the Good Shepherd provides food for his people. To prepare a table means to gather food, cook it, and serve it in a meal. Joseph, a type of Christ, "...hosted his famished brothers in Egypt and sent them back to Israel with an abundance of provisions." We see that in Genesis 42 to 45. "...the Lord was the host of his redeemed people Israel in miraculously providing food and water for them in the wilderness, even though the unbelieving Israelites did not trust him to furnish a table in the wilderness." When Elijah ran for his life from the wicked Queen Jezebel, he awoke one day in total exhaustion to find that the Lord had sent an angel to serve him bread and water in the wilderness. That sustained him for 40 days and 40 nights. Perhaps David reflected on God's provision for his people in the wilderness of Sinai as he cared for his father's sheep in the wilderness of Judea. The great shepherd provides for his sheep with all they need for body and soul as they travel through a hostile world. We must see this provision as primarily a spiritual feast. Now to prepare a table is the same language used when wisdom, with a capital W in Proverbs 9, furnishes a table for her guests and invites those who seek understanding to feast in her house. Uh, Proverbs nine two. Now Christ is our wisdom, and he lovingly prepares a table for his sheep, even in the presence of their enemies. They learn to say with Job, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job 23.12. Like Paul, they can say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in Ephesians 1 3. Just as the shepherd leads his sheep in paths of righteousness, he reveals his glory as he extends this spiritual hospitality to those who come to him by faith. So first we shall examine Christ's labor to prepare and then his labor to bring abundant provisions for us. So first, his labor to prepare this abundant provision for us. Preparing a nutritious and delicious meal, food for one's family and guests, is hard work. Being a good host requires careful planning, money, and effort, and time. Of course, it's less satisfying if one's guests are not grateful. But in spite of the foolishness of his own flock, as well as the multitude of enemies surrounding them, the Lord provides for his flock. As the good shepherd Jesus Christ finished his task of providing abundant spiritual provisions for his elect, though it cost him the high price of his own blood. This reveals nothing less than God's amazing grace. Yet we also find such a table prepared in the gospel of Jesus Christ in the covenant meal of the Lord's Supper and in the eternal banquet of his glorious kingdom, the marriage feast of the Lamb. The preparation for this table, of course, was before the world began. The Holy Spirit calls Jesus the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world Revelation 13.8, to testify of Christ's willingness from eternity to be bound with the cords of love to his own sheep and to be sacrificed for their sins. As God gave manna to Israel to eat, the Father sent the Son to be the bread of life for his people, and the Son voluntarily came to do the Father's will. Christ promised from eternity to open a wellspring of eternal life for sinners. Because of Christ's preparations, his servants may eat, drink, and rejoice. Their enemies will look on them with envy, but they cannot interrupt this holy feast. As Isaiah said, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Christ's labor to prepare abundant food for his sheep is an unfathomable mystery. We see this in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It involved his willingness to lay aside his eternal and divine glory, his position, and his prerogatives as the sinless son of God. It meant humbling himself, making himself of no reputation, to suffer, to suffer privation, ridicule, false accusations, rumors, gossips, and false charges. His coming to earth as Jesus of Nazareth, was an act of utter self-sacrifice, culminated, culminating in his death on the cross at Calvary. He laid down his life for his sheep in utter selflessness. This was redeeming love. This was God fulfilling his eternal counsel. This was the satisfaction that God's justice demanded. This was God in Christ, Delivering men from their iniquities, their selfishness, and their self-destructive instincts as lost, helpless sheep. So now let's consider Christ's labor to bring this abundant provision to us. When David says, thou preparest the table before me, he implies that everything was prepared before his eyes. All he must do now is enjoy the feast. The sheep do not have to find their way to this table, for the shepherd who prepared their food brings them to it. The table has been prepared, and the feast has been spread before us. Apart from God's grace, though, we have no legs to run to Christ, no hands to reach for his food, no mouth to taste it, and no appetite to enjoy it. We need a Savior who will not only prepare the gospel table of grace, but who also prepares us for his grace and feeds us with his grace. For without him, we can do nothing. Even as Christ offered himself to sinners as the bread of life, calling them to believe, he said, No man can come to me except the Father which sent me draws him. We need to confess that we need a Savior who will not forsake us after meriting salvation for us on Calvary's cross. For we are helpless still without the shepherd to apply that salvation to us. We need grace to lift up our heart by faith to heaven, where Christ is as our advocate, seated at the right hand of the Father. Only then will we be nourished in our soul's with Christ's crucified body and shed blood as the true meat and drink of eternal life. The Lord prepares a feast prepared only for the spiritually impoverished whom he has chosen. Psalm 132 says, For the Lord has chosen Zion, he has delivered it for his habitation. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with uh, with bread. To eat from this table, however, they must first recognize their spiritual poverty. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Sadly, it is possible to be spiritually poor, but still think you are rich and need nothing. We see that in the rebuke Jesus gives in Revelation 3.17. Awareness of sin in the mind and repentance from sin in the heart are miles apart in God's eyes. The feast of the gospel always requires more than just remorse and regret. It requires each person to turn away from sin to God, trusting Christ to save him from the penalty and the power of sin. The heart must be cut free from all grounds of salvation except Jesus Christ. Such penitent, thirsting sinners are welcomed at Christ's feast, for salvation is by free grace only. At his table, the Lord Jesus Christ receives his guests with gracious love. He bestows every dish of this lavish feast with the generosity of a prince. The overflowing love of the Lord Jesus Christ draws His people to, this, to His table. His love teaches them that the abundance of divine provision is due to His divine person. He is the great I am. Do they desire peace? He is our peace. Do they need salvation? He declares, I am your salvation. Do they long for comfort? He points to himself and says, I am your consolation, fear not. God makes Christ Jesus everything to believers. Wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption, as we see in 1 Corinthians 1. Oh, how richly Jesus Christ provides for his sin-sick souls, for the sin-sick souls of his people. He is the salvation of God, the sum of all covenant blessings. In him dwells all of God's fullness. He is the treasury of all sufficient grace. And his sheep receive grace upon grace. Christ is everything that his people need for time and eternity. In Christ, believers find a salvation that can never be aborted, a righteousness that can never be tarnished. A title that can never be clouded. A judgment that can never be repeated. A justification that can never be annulled. They find a position that can never be invalidated. A seal that can never be violated. An inheritance that can never be revoked. A wealth that can never be depleted. A peace that can never fade. In Christ they find a love that can never fail a grace that can never run out, a strength that can never be exalted, a forgiveness that can never be rescinded, a comfort that can never be exhausted, and an intercessor who can never be disqualified, a victor who can never be conquered, a hope that can never be disappointed, and a glory that can never be dimmed. Yes, Christ is all in all for them. From Christ flows the river of the water of life, which the Holy Spirit gives to the believer in whom that water springs up to eternal life. To feed on this Christ is to be fed with all good things, even if we are hungry. To be satisfied with this divine food is to experience grace that will triumph over sin. Though we still live in the land of the curse, and must walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can still say with grateful hearts, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And now we shall consider Christ's labor to lead us in victory over those enemies. As the good shepherd, Christ suffered and died on the cross to provide abundant provisions for his flock. As the great shepherd, Christ now sits at the right hand of the Father to furnish a table for his sheep in the presence of their enemies. As the chief shepherd, Christ will soon return to earth in victory to gather all his sheep into heaven, far beyond the reach of their enemies. Truly, the Lord's sheep do not lack divine provision now or in eternity." While we are on this side of the grave, waiting for our transition to glory, we must commit our enemies into Christ to Christ. Your king will handle them on your behalf far more effectively than you can imagine. In the midst of his trials. Luther found comfort in the victory of Christ. The Christian cannot boast in this victory as if it comes from himself. After every statement of which we have done for the Lord, Luther says we must add, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, we should glorify God for everything that his grace accomplishes in us. We must not be surprised if as followers of Christ we attract the hostile attention of Christ's enemies. Some of a Christian's most bitter enemies may be those who are confessing church members and leaders. Sinners are enemies not only of God's righteousness, but also of God's grace. The kingdom of Satan resists both the law and the gospel. That should not surprise us. Because if we are honest with ourselves, we too have been enemies of grace and have remained so and would have remained so if it had not been that grace renewed our natures. Therefore, child of God, seek the grace of the Lord as you face great enemies, both within and without. As Paul says in Ephesians 6, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And be strong in the Lord, or be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus in 2 Timothy 2.1. Strengthen yourself by remembering that your enemies will serve to your eternal advantage. In this life, God uses your enemies to compel you to sit closer to Him, to feed at His table, and to gather with His people. The day will come when God will vindicate you in glory and cast all your enemies into everlasting darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. While you wait, you may eat the hidden manna and drink from the secret spring, which bubbles up in the besieged city and enables you to defy the encircling forces of the enemy. Believer, are your enemies so afflicting you that you are driven to your knees in prayer? Haven't you also seen that those who are against you actually help you by making you more dependent upon the Lord? In eternity, you will partake of the high kings, of the king's high table, free of all enemies. You will no longer be an enemy to yourself for all enemies and enmity will be kept out. Only friends and divine love will be let in. Oh, imagine what it will be like to be forever with your king, without hindrance, without obstacle, and without any enemy. You will then be more than an inhabitant of heaven, more than sheep of God, and more than a child of heaven. Indeed, you will then be the bride of heaven, described in John's vision in Revelation 19. Are you ready for that day of days? Jesus said, Surely I come quickly. That is his promise. Blessed is the bride who can reply and say, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. So we've considered Christ's labor to prepare and bring abundant provision to us as his sheep and his labor to lead us in victory over our enemies. Now let us consider his divine anointing upon us. And we shall look at our experience of that anointing with the Spirit of Christ and then experiencing that anointing with the offices of Christ. And we are using the last uh, part of uh, verse uh, 23, 5b. Thou anointest my head with oil. We saw how the shepherd prepares a feast for his people even in a hostile world. He also blesses them with divine anointing. Imagine a table or a banquet where the host greets his guests warmly. Before the meal, the host provides water to wash their guest's feet, his guest's feet, which is much appreciated after walking in sandals over dry, dusty roads in the Middle East. The host then takes a vial of oil and pours a little bit of it on the guest's head. This sweet, spicy oil refreshes the guest's dry skin and makes his face shine with happiness. Anointing someone's head with oil does seem strange to us today. We don't, we don't do that. I've never had that happen to me if invited over to eat somewhere, somebody pours some oil on your head. But in Scripture, this has rich meaning. Oil is a sign of joy and satisfaction. Pouring perfumed oil on the head expresses celebration and joy. It was customary to honor a guest at a banquet by anointing his head with fragrant oil, a custom which continues now even in the Middle East. Thus, when David wrote, thou anointest my head with oil, he was saying that the Lord not only provided for his physical needs, but also blessed him with honor as a beloved guest. Anointing is a symbol of our richest spiritual privilege in Jesus Christ. When God called men to serve his people, as Aaron the priest, Moses as a leader, and the kings of Israel, and the prophet Elijah, these servants were all prepared for their work by being anointed with oil. Now the Hebrew word for anointed one whether a prophet, priest, or king, is Mashiach, translated as Messiah. When translated into Greek, anointed one becomes Christos, or Christ, the title given to our Lord Jesus. He is the great prophet, priest, and king. The ceremonial anointing with oil was an outward sign of the gift of the Holy Spirit to bless, seal, and empower God's servants. Anointing with oil was a sign of the greater anointing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said of himself, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. In Isaiah sixty-one one, Luke wrote, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. We need this anointed one in all of his three offices. We can hardly call ourselves his sheep unless we feel our need for him in all three roles. Francis Turretin explained how Christ meets our every need. The threefold misery of man introduced sin, ignorance, guilt, and the tyranny and bondage of sin. All of this required in this conjunction of a threefold office. Ignorance is healed by the prophetic, guilt by the priestly, the tyranny and corruption of sin by the kingly. Prophetic light scatters the darkness of error. The merit of the priest takes away the guilt and procures reconciliation for us. And the power of the king removes the bondage of sin and death. The prophet shows God to us, the priest leads us to God, and the king joins us together and glorifies us with God. The prophet enlightens the mind by the spirit of illumination. The priest, by the spirit of consolation, provides rest for the heart and conscience. The king, by the spirit of sanctification, subdues rebellious affections. The Lord helps his sheep realize their need for the anointed prophet, priest, and king by his word and spirit. The Holy Spirit uncovers a sinner's unrighteousness and reveals Christ's righteousness. The Spirit convicts the sinner of the need for the anointed priest to free him from sin and guilt through Christ's sacrifice, intercession, and blessing. And the Holy Spirit helps the sinner know how desperately he needs the anointed king to save him, to heal him, and to make him holy. Thus the Holy Spirit makes believers partakers of Christ's anointing. As Calvin said, Christ received the Holy Spirit in full perfection with all his graces that he may lavish them upon us. As a result, we share in the work of his offices, though Christ alone is the mediator. Psalm 23 is a song of spiritual experience. It is not just a declaration of truth, though this is also precious to the believer. It is truth made real to the soul through the exercise of faith. So what does it mean to experience this anointing of the Spirit of Christ? Now, the Bible speaks of oil more than 200 times. A special kind of oil, an oil of holy ointment, was used to consecrate the tabernacle, the ark, the holy vessels, and the priests of the tabernacle. This oil could not be used just for any other purpose. It was reserved for sacred use as a symbol of the Holy Spirit and his sanctifying power. Without the Holy Spirit, God's children become restless, fretful, weak, dim-sighted, and sick. Consider a few of the titles of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Life, the Spirit of Truth. The spirit of grace and supplication, the spirit of power, the spirit of holiness. If you are a child of God, the Holy Spirit is within you and for you, even if you cannot see him. You are totally dependent upon Christ's, upon God's spirit, but you do not have the ability to anoint yourself any more than a helpless sheep would. Moreover, you need the continuous anointing of God's gracious Spirit to counteract the recurring problems of sin and temptation. Are not the Holy Spirit's fresh applications your sure antidote against fresh temptations and sin? Yet despite your fears, you will receive divine, continuous, and fresh anointing. For the Holy Spirit lives within you. The Spirit motivates his sheep to lay all their needs at the shepherd's feet. The oil is delightful, for when God gives it to his child, his service to God becomes pleasant, and Christ helps him, bears his burdens. This oil lasts too For as it says in first John, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and shall, and you shall abide in him. Above all, this oil empowers for it signifies freedom from bondage and fear and imparts strength for daily life and Christian service, as well as for spiritual warfare against sin, self, Satan, and the world. The oil of the Spirit sets all divine graces in motion, effectively producing power to endure, to pray, to serve, to worship, to live, to hear, and to engage in all that is required for true godliness. Consider the power of God's anointing. By the Spirit, the prophets, the priests, and the kings of old served God and overcame their enemies. By the authority and power of God's anointing, the office of his servants would be impossible without that. Those anointed ones in the Old Testament find their fulfillment, though, in the anointing of the incarnate Son of God as prophet, priest, and king. In turn, his office bearers and children are anointed as the fruit of Christ's work. Though Christ's anointing was revealed in time, at his miraculous conception, his baptism, and his ascension into glory, he was never literally anointed with oil for an office. For this anointing took place from eternity. Old Testament anointing was only a shadow of Christ's eternal anointing. Each found fulfillment in him. Christ's anointing has two aspects, appointment and qualification. Christ's appointment took place again in eternity when the Son of God was chosen by the Father to his threefold office. In turn, the Son agreed to represent the elect who were given to him by the Father. His qualification, which represents his uh, when he t- His human nature only, for nothing can be added to his divine nature, of course took place in the fullness of time under the influence of the Holy Spirit, as evident from Luke 2.40, which says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. The sanctifying work of the Spirit is inseparable from the electing love of the Father and the atoning blood of Christ. Believers are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. First 1 Peter 1, 1.2 Thus believers have a triple foundation. The Father reconciled them to himself by free grace. The Son redeemed them by free grace. And the Spirit abides in them by free grace. This is a threefold cord which cannot be broken. Christ is anointed prophet to proclaim his wisdom to people who are empty of knowledge. Christ is anointed priest to represent people who have given themselves over to sin, death, hell, and Satan. And Christ is anointed king to protect a weak flock from all enemies. Christ cannot fail to anoint his people, for he has anointed for he has been anointed for them from all eternity, and then experiencing the anointing of christ's office uh, the, the anointing of the offices of Christ, unfathomable though it may be, the anointed Christ graciously makes his people partakers of the anointing by his spirit. Believers share the privileges of Christ's anointed offices. He is the Christ, and they are called Christians. Now, the Heidelberg Catechism asks, why are you called a Christian? The answer, because I am a member of Christ by faith, and thus a partaker of his anointing, that so I may confess his name as a prophet and present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him as a priest, and also that with a free and good conscience I might fight against sin and Satan in this life, and afterward reign with him eternally over all creatures as a king. Christ anoints his people and brings them into this marvelous light of his gospel, making them both beneficiaries and partakers of his work, As prophet, priest, and king. When the anointment, when the ointment of Christ's spirit flows down upon his chosen ones, they become prophets who know and confess his name in personal, domestic, and social and ecclesiastical life. As priests, Christ's anointing transforms believers into warriors who wrestle in prayer for themselves, their families, the church, government, and even their enemies. And finally, Christ anoints his people to participate in his kingship. Christ makes believers partakers of his royal freedom, a free and good conscience. And he calls them to a royal warfare, that we might fight against sin and Satan in this life, and promises to share his royal reign with them in eternity. Highly blessed are those who bear fruit that springs forth from this anointing in Christ's threefold office. God's Spirit performs for the nat- or for the spiritual man what natural oil supplies for the natural man. As oil heals the bruised and wounded man, the Holy Spirit heals the wounded soul from backsliding spiritual illness and weakness. As oil burned in the temple to provide light, the Holy Spirit illuminates the understanding of the flock, enabling them to know and understand God's word. As oil refreshes the faith face as a soothing lotion, The Holy Spirit refreshes believers in the midst of warfare and trials. As oil was a sign of welcome to an invited guest, inviting him to the feast, so God welcomes us, the child of God, to his banquet table. And as physical oil makes a person beautiful and fragrant, the Holy Spirit beautifies God's people in the likeness of Christ, and perfumes them with his fragrant righteousness. If the Holy Spirit is so essential for all Christians, how much more for office bearers and church, church ministers, elders, and deacons? The anointing of Christ's Spirit is absolutely necessary. It is impossible to fulfill any office in the church apart from God's Spirit, it is a wonder that God, that the Lord is pleased to use us. Our anointed Christ patiently bears with our limitations and infirmities and is always ready to give grace and wisdom to those who lack it. Do you feel the need for this daily anointing to meet your daily responsibilities? Do you pray, Lord, anoint my head, heart, and hands with thy holy oil? Whether you are an office member or a church member, a parent, a child, husband, or wife, remember that we all need the Holy Spirit's anointing, which flows from Christ at the right hand of the Father. Know who you are and what you are by the grace of God, And call upon him for that anointing. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we do give thanks to you for this truth that we just went through in Psalm 23. The table that you have set before us, providing for us a spiritual feast and anointing us with the Holy Spirit for the tasks, for the the life that you have called us to, acting in those offices as prophets, priests, and kings. And we thank you that Jesus Christ is the epitome of those three offices and that he is our great, good, and chief shepherd. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand these things more deeply, increase our faith, and anoint us with your Holy Spirit so that we might bear that fruit that will bring you glory. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.